Jai Jinendra. Let's start with the Noka Mantra. Namo Arihantanam, Namo Siddhanam, Namo Ayaryanam, Namo Uvajayanam, Namo Luesavasarunam, Esu Panchanamo Karo, Sava Pava Panasano, Manalamancha Savasim, Paramamahave Mangalam. So today we are going to continue to demystify death. Last week we talked about when your body dies, but this week I'd like to talk about when someone else's body dies. The first thing to do is to realize that only their body is dead. Their soul will live forever and cannot be destroyed. So that should give you a lot of comfort. And perhaps that will be the catalyst for you to start believing you're a soul. It's normal uh, and it's a catalyst for quite a few people um, to have that kind of moment of clarity when someone close to them dies. Hi, come on in. The second thing to do is to realize the world is transient. The only constant you have in this chaos, the only island of sanity that you can hang on to is your own soul. Everything else is going to change and disappear including your body. You cannot rely on anybody else. So last week we talked about when your body dies. This week we're talking about when someone else's body dies. The third thing to do is to remember the story of Gautam Swami. Who remembers the story of Gautam Swami? Gautam Swami. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. But from deep sorrow, then he focused on inner, so from outside to inside. Right. That's how he got cable game. And what is the realization that Gautam Swami had? What is the epiphany that he had? Yeah. So this, like, everything is transitory and. Right. Nothing is going to stay. Right. Why am I doing this? Exactly. Yes. So I think the Dr. Swami's example is very good. Definitely, he had so much love. All the CCS he had, achieved government and not him. Because he was so much attached to it, Mahaswami. Right. And that's the reason. Hey, come on in. And Mahaswami knew it, and he was not able to. Right. So he sent him away, but he knew that his time is coming up. So he sent him away, um, and uh, he took the nirvana. And then Gautam Swami came back, and he he was in so much deep song that I was so much attached, and Mahavir Swami did not care for me. Why did he send me away? He right. knew. So then he realized that our soul has come along. It's when I go along. And that is the, one of the bhavanas, right? Uh, and doing this over and over again, he felt that no, if Mahavishami did not care for me, because that's the way it should be, right? why am I so much behind? And that time he realized, and then he came out of that shock. And that time he actually gave up that. Right. Uh, so remember, Gautam Swami spent 30 years with Mahavir Swami. And Mahavir Swami was the one that saved his soul and opened his eyes to the truth. 
And when he realized that Mahavir Swami had died and not told him, he realized Mahavir Swami knew he was going to die. And this guy's whole deal is to not lie, right? And not lie by omission, right? So why would you not tell your best friend that you were going to die? That's a lie by omission, right? Well, he wouldn't lie to me, right? So what's really going on? And that's when the penny dropped, right? And that's when he had that moment of realization that uh, he had been too attached to Mahavir Swami. So very good. So uh, unfortunately, there's nobody in my life, there's probably nobody in your life that you're attached to as much as Ma Gautam Swami was attached to Mahavir Swami because they spent 30 years together and um, they, uh, Mahavir Swami saved Gautam Swami's soul. So it's useful to remember that in our life, that if he could overcome that, then we can overcome losing some, the body of somebody close to us. So Jains believe that uh, mourning for the dead should be brief and you shouldn't display excessive grief because it's, of course it's only their body that dies. And therefore we should try to maintain equanimity in the face of death because it's just another transition that we go through, that our soul goes through. So questions or comments about that? Um, we started off with um, the first thing you should do when somebody dies is somebody's body dies is to realize that it's just their body. The second thing is to realize that the world is transient. And the third thing is to remember the story of Gautam Swami. Questions or comments about that? That's it as far as Jainism goes. I'd like to spend some time talking about the practical aspects of when somebody's body dies. Uh, it's a lot different when your body dies. We had a very uh, in-depth discussion about Jainism when your own body dies, but when somebody else's body dies, it, uh, a lot less to do with you. Any other topics about the Jainism side before we move to the non-Jainism side? Hey, come on in. We're demystifying the death of someone's body today. We just talked about the Jainism side. Now we're going to talk about the practical things that we should do. The first thing you have to do is obtain a pronouncement of death. That's not a death certificate. That's a different. You have to obtain two things at different times. The first thing is a pronouncement of death. And if somebody dies and that person is at home, you call 911 and 911 will transport the body after they try to resuscitate it to the hospital. And the doctor at the hospital will give you a pronouncement of death. It's a piece of paper. Um, if, if somebody, for example, is going through a lot of pain and then you go to the hospital, then they'll automatically know to do that. But if they're at home, uh, while uh, the EMS is coming, you should look for, if you have not discussed, a DNR, which is called the Do Not Resuscitate, because the emergency EMS people will need that DNR uh, to forego resuscitation. What and is the that? doctor will need that too. So a DNR stands for Do Not Resuscitate, and it's also a piece of paper that the deceased has signed. And it's telling uh, the world, it's telling the world that if they appear to be dead, they do not wish to have resuscitated actions performed on their body. 
because emergency uh, emergency personnel are mandated to perform resuscitative actions like CPR to try to bring them back alive. Oh, okay, okay. Right. Uh, why would someone sign that paper? Because they don't want to prolong the pain that they're in. They want to continue dying. They don't want to try living again. Right. After certain milestones have been reached. For example, if they can't breathe, it's possible for them to be put on a ventilator while resuscitative actions are performed or while doctors continue to try to revive the body. So they decline, the, as, as one example, they would decline to be put on a ventilator. Yes. Who has to sign that? The person the deceased. who is dying. Yeah. Yeah. While living. Is there a document called DNR? If yes. Touch it okay. Yes, it's called do not resuscitate order. Is it part of will and trust or? Uh, yes. Um, Yes and no. Um, hey, come on in. Hi, JJ Nendra. Last week we talked about uh, what happens when your body dies. This week we're talking about what happens when somebody else's body dies. Uh, so it should be done at the same time as the will and trust. It should be with the same documents as the will and trust, but it's actually a separate document. It's not part of it, and it shouldn't be part of the will and trust. It should be a separate one because you need it at a separate time and you need to give it to different people. Okay, uh, don't try to move any dead bodies yourself. I'm pretty sure it's against the law. Uh, so if the body dies at home, then have an ambulance come and take the body to the hospital and once you're at the hospital the funeral people or the hospital have to transfer the body to the funeral home or the crematorium you're not allowed to move any dead bodies yourself okay so at this point you're going to have to make a decision about brain and organ donation hopefully you've talked to the person about that if not then it's probably up to you to make the decision um, sometimes uh, the brain and organ donation will conflict with the DNR because they have to, for example, keep the heart beating, which is resuscitative actions, right? So the DNR should include uh, language that says, well, if I'm a brain or organ donor, then you're allowed to keep those things alive while, um, while they're taking it, before they take it out of my body. Uh, as far as from a Jainism perspective, it's something that you might consider has no bearing on uh, anything one way or the other. Remember that the brain is not considered part of the body for this type of thing. If you want to donate your brain to science, it has to be done separately. When people say donate my organs, they're typically not talking about the brain. So if you want that done, it has to be done separately. Okay, so after that, uh, the next thing to do is to secure the deceased property. Um, you have to lock their house and their vehicle. You have to water any plants, throw out any foods in the refrigerators, take care of any uh, pets that they have, and lock up all their personal effects. Next, you, uh, you have to notify friends and family. Next, you have to make funeral arrangements. Uh, you cannot do this yourself. Do not try to do this. One person cannot do this. Um, this when you notify friends and family, if they offer to help, this is when you lean on your friends and family to make funeral arrangements. It's 
too many people and it's too short a time for you to do it all yourself. You need to delegate the tasks to different people. Hopefully, uh, the theme is that we should have all talked about this before, but if nobody's talked about it, then you have to make the decisions um, regarding cremation. We talked about cremation last time. Uh, we generally cremate so bacteria doesn't keep on uh, uh, growing in the body, and so other people don't have to kill those extra bacteria that have been growing. But of course, uh, it's your choice of what you want to do. Your body is of no use after your soul is gone from your body. Uh, one of the things you should rely on friends and family on is to write an obituary. You can also put that obituary, uh, normally it's done in the paper, but nowadays we create memorial websites. That is, you can create a website where it's easy for you to share funeral arrangements, uh, where and when everything is, what help that the family needs. You can have people share their memories on it. And you can use that website to prove that somebody has died for certain people that need it. So that's generally what people do these days. So questions or comments about that? You're all looking very sad. It's not a very sad time. It's a very happy time. We should be celebrating people, celebrating people's soul, moving on to another life. Uh, questions or comments? Uh, just a comment. Since organ donor was talked about, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, should someone perish in an accident, actually, when you go to prior to that, when you go to uh, uh, renew your driver's license, there is an option to select about organ donor, and I think they have a red heart sign on your uh, license. So, so at least someone knows that hey, they are organ donors if they. Uh, get a hold of the license, the driving license. Right. And if somebody talks to you about that, it's not a matter of putting pressure on you, but it's just a matter of that the decision needs to be made quickly, within a couple of hours after the pronouncement of death. Hey, come on in. Hey, how you doing? Last week we talked about uh, when your body dies. This week we're talking about when someone else's body dies. We're demystifying death. And we're talking about it, uh, frankly, and openly. We talked about the Jainism perspective. We talked about the first thing you need to do is realize that it's only their body, it's not their soul. We talked about the second thing you need to do is realize that the entire world is transient and the only thing you can rely upon in this island of chaos that you find yourself in is your own soul. And the third thing to do is remember the story of Gautam Swami and Mahavir. That was it as far as the Jainism side. Now we're talking about the practical things you do when somebody dies. Okay, so after you've done that, after you've done organ donation, securing the property, the hospital, making those kind of decisions. Hey, how you doing? Good. Next, it's time to obtain the death certificate. You should obtain probably about 10 copies of the death certificate. This is different from the pronouncement of death we talked about. The pronouncement of death is a piece of paper that the doctor issues. The death certificate is a piece of paper that the state issues. You should probably get about 10. You're going to need to send copies to different people. Um, get 10 physical paper copies. Whenever you can, send out a soft copy. If that doesn't work, send out a photocopy. And at the very last, send out uh, actual original copy of the death certificate because you don't have that many of those and then you'll have to get them later. Yes. Who issued, well, like, how do you get uh, the death certificate? 
It's the Texas Department of Health and Services. So once the doctor or you have communicated the pronouncement of death to the state, they will issue the death certificate. And that's why it comes later. That's why there needs to be two documents, because the pronouncement of death needs to be done really fast, but the death certificate comes because of the bureaucracy, it has to come later. Well, I would say that you should get more than 10 for sure. More than 10? Okay. I would say you probably get at least 20, and depending on the wealth of the person, you may need 50. Because every life insurance needs original one, every bank account bank. needs original one, every IRA needs original one, they won't accept. They'll accept one pending an original delivery. And it's very hard because the death certificate is usually sent to the funeral home. So they 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 collect it for you. So they apply for it, they collect it. And they that's where it gets captured. So it takes a, a few weeks after it happens to, to get there. And I would say that um, it's very hard to order additional one later on. Yeah, so you can just it. order it up right so there's no limit, I suppose. There's no. There's a fee for every sheet that they print, like the state fee. All right, no need for everybody to look so sad. Okay, we got we, you. All, you guys are looking down. Okay, this is not a sad time. We're trying to demystify death. We talk about it frankly and openly, and we support each other through this process. The next thing to do is to contact that person's employer, inquire about any life insurance policy or any benefits that they had. The next thing to do is to contact the Jane Center. The Jane Center is here for you and will always be here for you when somebody, uh, when the body of somebody close to you dies. The next person to contact is any organizations with the person that the person belonged to. Um, we have uh, so this section is about who we're notifying. All right, so we're notifying the Social Security Administration. Uh, there may be benefits that are due to the person or to the next of kin. Uh, as Nick mentioned, we're contacting financial institutions wherever that individual had accounts. You typically need to set up a separate bank account for the estate and transfer any of the funds there. Because if you think about it, that person, let's say, had a checking account. Well, you can't write checks from that checking account to pay the mortgage or to pay the electricity because you need the signature of that person. So what you do is you set up a separate bank account and all the funds go in there and the administrator of that bank account, who might be you, is probably you, uh, gets to write checks for the estate and gets to keep those things going while they're handling the affairs. So you typically need a separate bank account. Uh, next, you uh, contact insurance companies. Uh, next, you contact credit bureaus. Our credit bureaus are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And a lot of this stuff is to prevent identity theft because identity thieves purposely target the recently deceased because they have open credit cards, open driver's license, open passport, open things like that for them to steal and to sell or to use or to whatever identity thieves do uh, and to vote or whatever. So uh, next you contact the credit card companies and the utility companies, depending on the housing situation. You also have to contact the post office. You have to leave a forwarding address for the mail. Um, and this is especially good for identity theft purposes. The post office needs to know that the person died. You don't want mail accumulating at the person's house, of course. Um, and when you get the mail or the administrator gets the mail, 
that's a good way to know what the accounts are, right? If you collect two months worth of mail, you pretty much have a good idea of, well, what bills need to be paid and what accounts they have and things like that. Uh, contact the Department of Motor Vehicles to get their driver's license canceled. That's another identity theft um, prevention mechanism. You cancel the driver's license and you keep copies of the canceled driver's license because some people need the driver's license, um, not necessarily the canceled one, but perhaps the canceled one too. For example, they may need the driver's license for you to access the bank account. You never know, right? So you need to keep photocopies of that. So, that's it as far as notifications. Questions or comments about that? Uh, sorry, update voter registration. You need to contact the county directly to figure out how to remove the deceased from the voter registration polls. So that's another target of identity thieves. Questions or comments about that? Notifications of the deceased. If you have parents, highly urge you guys to become uh, authorized signatory or uh, each each form has a different type of requirement but it will allow you to access or talk to a representative uh, in, in lieu of this uh, otherwise they're going to ask are you the trustee they're going to ask you about estate stuff so you know you won't be able to even pay a bill in, in sight so yeah. Right, so it's an authentic authentication question. Your name is on the account, so you're allowed to access information right. about the account, so you can just know what's going on. But you got to be added to every account. So now may be a good time to bring up. They have, <coughs> like we mentioned, the five wishes document earlier. You can get online or at any bookstore a book that just has all of these blanks that you have to fill in that you can talk with your parents about. Um, and it'll say, you know, I have these bank accounts and the account number is this and the passwords are these. And you can just, it kind of forces you to have these difficult conversations. <clears throat> any, any experience with India? So my parents are the Indian nationals, right? right? So again, they always tell me to get Aadhaar card in India. I have pen card and ration card and I guess I still have the driving license from there. Uh -huh. Still valid till I think 2027. And then you're going to go back and renew it? <laughs> it comes at home. No, but, huh? In India you can renew it. Oh, they are not. going there. I, I think not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm just because I have the paper copy. I still have that Sorry. booklet. Uh, but how do I get Aadhaar card? You have to, you have to go there. Apply. It's required by biometrics. Yeah, you, you need to have a address because well, Aadhaar card he has a pen so he'll be able to get it no but Aadhaar card needs an address so I need to be on a utility or something on yeah. the bank statement your your parents address can be used that's all yes. Yes. but you have to be there in person to go to the Aadhaar center and get your biometrics captured but it doesn't matter I'm US national no, no. You don't have Aadhaar card. card is not a citizenship document of oh India. okay okay and it's pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Outside of this class, if you text me, yeah. I'll okay. text you the right. Okay. 
If I'm going this time, I think I should get so it out. I, I got a guy specifically for that. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> Send it because if you go to that center stop, you have a driving license. Yeah, he's an agent. I got, I got, I got the <laughs> Other questions or comments? I have a question. If someone dies in US, if the body needs to be sent to India, what is the process for that? I don't know. Anybody have any idea? I have, I have a big idea. Embassy, you need to contact the embassy, make the arrangements in the sense to fly so I we we use Indian crew for ships. And I had a friend call me saying that one of the crew guys passed away on a ship that was here in the US. So they took the body off, the Coast Guard took the body off, they took it to the hospital, they issued uh, you know, a death notice, mm -hmm. and then they move the body to uh, uh, to a funeral home, which then did the transport oh. in India, which the embassy got involved in. They did it in India. There are lots of people that have set up funds to to repatriate the body uh, to go do that, and I think the cost was around ten grand. Have you come back here? Let's see. Air. So, um, like in that case, there was a Siemens fund. So that Siemens fund paid for the, the repatriation, but they had an insurance policy that paid off uh, that fund. Insurance policy in US. So the company he worked for had oh, an okay. insurance policy in, in for US, him, right? And so they paid off. Let's talk about your digital footprint. These, uh, the deceased probably had a very big digital footprint, okay? So, Facebook account, uh, social media account, online photos are very important, what to do with those. Um, you can, for social media, you can mark different accounts as memorialized accounts, and it will say, in memory of, and then the deceased names, and people will still be allowed to comment on their timeline and uh, do things like that. Um, you definitely uh, want to have that information in one place regarding uh, what the answers to security questions are, like who was your best friend growing up or what was the name of your first pet or things like that, to access those accounts, um, especially email. Email will probably be one of the last things you want to close, but it is important to eventually close the deceased's email because that is a pretty big target for identity theft too. And there's ways to do that too. Um, uh, it's very easy to find online. So that is something new that we'll have to take care of, but it's something very important as people's digital footprints become perhaps greater than their physical footprints. Okay, so that's all notification, right? So now let's talk about settling the affairs of the deceased, uh, mostly financial. So as we talked about before, when the person dies, the first thing you look for is the DNR. But after a little while, perhaps even after the funeral, all those documents should be together. For example, the will. The will will have a... Uh, different people have different kinds of wills, so you'll have to read it to figure out what's going on. Um, you'll want to have a record of accounts. You'll want to have a record of debts. 
You want to have copies of all the insurance policies. Uh, you want to have any identification documents or marriage certificates. And you want to have tax returns. All, all those should kind of be in the same place. Those are the important documents that you need to locate after somebody dies. And hopefully we've had conversations with this about uh, with the people in our family. So all those documents are in the same place. And so we have digital soft copies too, right? Because that's, that's going to be probably a lot more accessible to us. Okay, then the person's estate goes into what's called probate. That is, uh, it goes into probate whether you do or do not have a will. If you have a will, it's much easier to get through the probate process. If you have a will, what happens is you go into court and you tell the judge, here's who I am, here's who the will is, here's who's named in the will, probably that's you as the administrator of the estate. I'm the administrator of the estate. I swear that I'm going to take care of the estate. And then you leave. And then the judge kind of maybe checks in with you a couple times or maybe you do a little bit of reporting. And then when it's done, you go back to the judge and you say, it's done, here's what happened, here's what I did, and that's it. So it's a lot easier if there's a will and there's an administrator. It's a lot harder to do this process called probate if there's not a will. Then what happens is the judge gets more involved. They'll say, well, now I have to decide who gets, who, who's the closest or who should be the administrator. Now I have to decide what they have to do or what powers that they have. Now I have to decide if somebody else comes along, then how we're going to resolve that conflict. It's, it's very messy. Um, and so definitely one of the conversations we should have, even if it's, you know, my children get everything equally, which is what a lot of people have, if, or my spouse gets everything. And if my spouse is dead, then my children get everything equally. That's fine. You still have to have a will for that. <laughs> okay. Even if it's that simple. You still have to have the will because the will will tell you what the administrator or the personal representative can do. And that's the most important part. Okay, The most important part isn't who gets what. The most important part is this person has the explicit authority to do this. Because when you call the bank account, right, you're going to say, I am the representative. And they're going to say, well, how do, you, how do we know you have this power? Here's the will. Here's my name. I have the authority to close bank accounts. You know, and it's this big long thing. It's like two pages of what you can do, right? And the bottom one is, and he's allowed to do anything else. <laughs> and that's maybe what you'll need uh, most importantly, right? And so that's why it's important to have a will, even if who gets what is very simple. It's still important to have a will. Is will applicable internationally? I would think so, yes. So if I have a will in India, will it apply to US or vice versa? I would think so. Um, so each one has its own jurisdictional requirement. So like in India, you need it on stamp paper. Here, you may need it notarized, you know, from there. Um, but I don't think the will in India will work here. It's something that you have to want. Uh, it needs to be by the US. So if, if you are in Texas, the Texas state law has... And so I need to have two wills. One, I should have it in yeah, India. You one, I should have it in India. Huh? What they suggest you can reference it. So in the India will, you can add the reference to the US will, and in the US will, you add the reference to India. Okay. So that way both are linked, but you need two different documents. Two different. One thing I would tell you guys is that 
you know, whenever we fill out a 401k or, you know, bank account all that, every one of those forms has a beneficiary. Correct. Yes. yes. You know, and it's not only a beneficiary, you can have multiple, multiple. you can have and or, you can like, it's really like a lot of times we just kind of leave it blank or push it through because we're, you know, starting a new right. company, a new job or whatever. It's really important that matches out because if it's blank, it's <coughs> another probate issue. Right. You know, I so. think in India also, I think probably Nomination. people may have bank account for the house. If you are living here, probably that this will be the most important thing. And in India or here, I think you should have a primary beneficiary, primary contingent beneficiary or secondary when primary goes away. Um, so I think this should apply to every bank account, every investment account, annuity, uh, India and America. That would be, that would go in before the will is required, right? If there is a contingent beneficiary, then you don't need will level of authorization. That's right. It, it, it makes it easier. You don't need the authority of, that's written in the will because it will happen based on its own authority. That's right. So uh, next, after you've identified these documents and you understand the probate process, you need to make an inventory of all the assets that the person had. Um, so that includes any bank accounts, their house, their car, any personal property, their furniture and jewelry, anything in the house as well. That list goes to the court, okay? Um, it, remember, it also includes <coughs> digital assets um, for any online banking, e-commerce, um, anything like that, any crypto that the person has, it also includes that. Uh, part of doing that is tracking down the assets. As, as I mentioned, uh, the statements that come every month, that will help you track down all the assets. Um, you can also look through any emails or in any filing cabinets that the deceased had, that will help you track down any assets. That's, uh, if you get old enough, you start to forget like that job that I had four jobs ago, you know, I had a 401k there and I wasn't allowed to roll it over. And so that's sitting there, you know, so it's important to understand that assets could be in a lot of different places. Uh, next, you have just like we made a list of assets, we have to make a list of liabilities, all the bills the person had and cancel any services that are not required, um, uh, depending on the person's home situation, things like that. Uh, Next, uh, that person most likely had a passport, so you have to figure out uh, how to deal with the passport. You can send the passport to be canceled and destroyed. You can send the passport to be canceled and returned to you if you would like to keep that, or you can um, uh, do different things with the passport. But definitely the passport office is a separate office that should be notified, just like the driver's license office. Uh, so questions or comments about that? A lot of notifications going out. Right. <laughs> right. Is all this information <clears throat> available online, like as an FAQ kind of thing? Yes, but it's not all in one place. Okay. Some places have it differently, and some places have uh, are better or worse to find it. But yeah, you can get everything if you do some research online about what to do if somebody dies. Can hear this on podcast. Right. <laughs> or you could refer to our discussion. 
Still seeing a lot of dour faces. Oh, it's a big bummer of a topic. It should not be. Because you are a soul. And you will never die. You will live forever. And your families are souls. And they will never die. And they will always live forever. Yeah, I had a comment. So on the organ donation, even though it's a good thing to do, but uh, what we have to be aware of, there is a cost or it's expensive. So in, in the will and trust, you need to call out if you are going to do an organ donation, it should not be on the family's expense. That has to be called out. Otherwise, you are doing a good thing, but then your family ends up paying, say, whatever the bill is, right? 100,000, I don't know the amount, but you need to call out. It can be done, but then you need to specifically call out that at their own, at not my expense, but uh, and whoever is getting the, yeah. Right, and one option that you may not be aware of, and you can donate your entire body. Uh, places will accept your entire body, and you know what happens is when they're at the hospital, they don't go. You don't transport them the body to a funeral home. You, the scientific laboratory that accepts the body uh, will take the body from the hospital. You don't have any funeral expenses, you know, you don't have to decide cremation or where to get cremation or anything like that. And it's just the body, right? We, you can have a celebration of life without, you know, it's your preference or it's the preference of the person that has been deceased. But when you're making this decision for your body, you can decide to do that and decide that, hey, I don't want to put my family through the expense. They can have a celebration of life in my honor. They don't have to look at the body. You know, they don't have to do those things. It may provide some people closure, but, you know, it may provide other people closure just getting together with friends and family, and a body is not required. So that's an option for you, too. <clears throat> if somebody dies at home, and they have wish for small open donation, the eye or kidney, not a whole body, so, after death, body will not be taken to the funeral home. It's very important thing to remember first. Body will be taken by the hospital where this is going to be taken, uh, taking place. But after they remove this, they will send the body back to the funeral home or home or home. Right? That's right. That's the way it should be. Right? So That's right. That's a correct sequence of events. It's hospital, then organ donation because that has to happen very fast and then the funeral home, and then um, you, the funeral home will, co will perform whatever wishes that you have. There's another one I wanted to, uh, <clears throat> a close friend and partner of mine uh, passed away a month ago, and I had no idea about this. In every mortgage statement, when you look at a mortgage, if you have a house mortgage, there's something some people might pay, it's mortgage points, right? Mortgage insurance points. PMI. Say again? PMI. PMI, right. That actually takes care of in case the principal dies, right? That takes care of the mortgage. I had no idea about it. Okay. Yeah. So. Good to know. Yeah. The, there's a lot of policies. Like a lot of insurance policies will do that. A lot of mortgage policies will do that. And it was very inexpensive. So I was looking into it and it's less than a percent. One. You're paying into something that 
you may or may not do. So there are that's true. Right, right, right. But my partner was 64, 65, so. So you probably paid into it for 20 years. No, you moved recently, maybe in 2010, 2012. So you still had a 30 year policy. Yeah, so that's. So you paid in 10, 12 years. But still, you know, the wife doesn't have to, the widow doesn't have to worry about making mortgage payments. Right. And all of this is very complicated and it's hard to look at insurance documents like when you're in grief or when you're trying to take care of your family, right? So that's another reason, if I didn't give you enough reasons, is to have these hard conversations while people are still alive and to communicate with your family while you're still alive these things, right? Maybe it's maybe we can't do it for other people, but we can certainly do it for ourselves. We're in control of that. Um, so it's important for your family to understand uh, understand your situation. Tim, what help does our temple give us? Yes. Currently, it's a little bit <laughs> what should it? And it's inexpensive and it's a texture. What should it? So the temple will, will perform the Jain pujas for after the deceased dies. And they should be doing a lot more. They should be offering support. We should have a list of resources. We should have a list of Jain friendly funeral homes or cremation sites. We should have a list of kind of support systems. And we should be celebrating the passing of everybody and the passing of each soul into the next life. Especially of members and family members of members, but we do not. And that is something that I regret. And this is my small way of working on that. And my hope is to produce a document like this that is a reference for our members. But currently, the only thing that our Jane Center offers is uh, appropriate time in the temple room for for Jane ceremonies for the deceased. They also do notification. Yeah. Right. That is a sore point for me. That is, this center should, like other, you know, I'm not comparing anything, but let's say if we're talking about the Catholic religion, right? They're there for you when you have a baby, when you're born, they're there for you to perform the religious uh, services. They're there for your religious education growing up. They're there to help you meet other Catholic people, right? They're there for you with the hall when you get married to use the church, right? They're there for you as far as networking purposes. They're there for you when the people around you die and they're there for you when you die. And I'd like to be like that, you know, but take a long time for us to get like that. Tim, you said uh, Jane, Puja, and, and all this, but last week you said that, you know, the moment the soul leaves the body, right? like, like, after the fact, how are we helping the soul? We're not. We're helping our own souls. We're helping our own souls because the puja reminds us of non-attachment. The puja reminds us of the story of Gautam Swami. The puja reminds us that that person is, that just a body has died, not a soul has died. The puja reminds us of all these things. But if we're supposed to be unattached, right, how is that helping my soul? How is the puja helping your soul? Yeah. 
It's reminding you to be unattached. You're so you're yes, you are supposed to be unattached. And the puja reminds you to be unattached. But okay. Let's talk about puja and then let's talk about, you know, like when you have like even a funeral ceremony or uh, yeah, or a prayer ceremony after the fact, right? The way it's described, it's like you're trying to help their soul reach the shanti, right? Or am I am I am I saying something out of line here? No, that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Right, right. Some right. of the like, pujas like, are they, cast in that framework. I'm sorry, say that again. That's absolutely true. Some of the pujas and the stutis and the stubbins are cast in that framework, where we're somehow helping the soul but we're not, on its way to his next life. I do not think we are. I think those are there to help us feel better. I think those are there to um, help the community gather around uh, people that are suffering. Are we creating karma from this? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I'm just trying to, trying to align all the stars here for myself. Yeah, remember, puja is the physical manifestation of prayer. And prayer is the verbal manifestation of uh, mental, uh, mental prayer. And mental prayer is our reminding ourselves that we want to be like the Tirthankars and be like the people that have conquered our enemies. We don't worship them. We want to have those qualities. When we do puja about people that have been deceased, we use that to reinforce our faith in Jain principles first, by reminding us of what those principles are, and second, by reminding everybody else what those principles are, and third, by helping us reinforce our faith in those principles. So when you hear the news of somebody passing, what is the right message to say, um, especially on the WhatsApp or email or phone calls, we never say rest in peace, we're not supposed to. Rest in peace is not applied to Jainism. A lot of people are Om Shanti or, Om Shanti or something. Right? Like, I, I, don't, I, don't I think so. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm asking that question too because most of the time you see this people RIP, RIP, right? rest in peace, but that's not. I see a lot of people write condolences, like our condolences in the right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the right Jain This is a tricky situation because. The first thing to do is to not cause any suffering, right? And if you remind people of, hey, well, that was just their body, you should be happy that their soul has moved on, you might inadvertently cause suffering, right? And you don't want to do that, right? So uh, that's why this is a tricky situation, and you should try to meet those people where they are, right? You should offer your help, and you should um, be respectful. And that's why it's a tricky situation because we don't know we might mean something in a respectful way, but they might not take it like that, right? So there's no one right answer because the answer depends on who the person is. So why you cannot pay? Rest in peace. It's typically it's for the Catholics when they <coughs> bury the body. They're not they're, resting. They're Their resting. soul is not resting. Their soul is not resting. What? In Gujarati, we have a prayer which is always in a prayer meeting 